Good morning, Maranatha. All right, before we get going, let's pray. Father, thank you for your freedoms that you've given to us here, to come here and to worship you, that we can sing your praises, Lord, that we can sing and with all of our might, and that we can just revel in that, Lord. But thank you more for your word. Thank you more than our freedoms that we have your word that speaks truth to us, Lord. Enlighten our hearts today, Lord, and help us to see the truth that you have for us in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I know a lot of you here. I don't know all of you, though. So some of you probably are having some questions right now. You're going, who is this guy? Some of you who know me, you're probably thinking, what has he done with Pastor Andrew? Good news. I've got answers to both of those questions. Uh, first, my name is Andy Hayes. My wife Erin and I, we've been worshiping here and attending here since 2015 with our four children, Lily, Lennox, Jonas, and Nate. Uh, I, I have the pleasure of being a part of your deacon team here at Maranatha. I also help lead the men's basketball outreach min- ministry that uh, comes in, on Thursday nights and we play basketball, we share the gospel. That's a good time if anyone's looking for something to do about, like that. And I also help serve on your welcome team. Um, if you fill out a connect card or you text in, as Pastor David said, to the church website, uh, you may receive a text from my wife or I. Um, we do not try to sell you a car warranty until like the fifth text. So you get four free ones, ask all your questions in the first four, qu- and then after that is game on, we're going to sell you something. No, I'm, t- I'm kidding. I'm totally um, Secondly, Pastor Andrew, he's safe. He's sitting right here. No pressure, Andy. Um, <laughs> he was actually on a mission trip to Chicago this week. Uh, their plans got changed when some flooding happened. They had a uh, plan to work on in an inner city minis- uh, mission for, uh, for a youth uh, program, but they ended up helping out in various different ways, had a very busy week. Uh, according to Pastor, it was a very blessed week and an awesome time. But none, nonetheless, he wasn't going to have time to prepare a sermon this week. Um, and so I had actually approached him months back and said, hey, I've got this idea for this, this sermon on biblical adoption. And uh, he felt that it was going to fit really well right here in the middle of Ruth. And so we're going to continue Ruth next week. Um, but this week, we're going to focus on biblical adoption. So you may have some more questions now. How does biblical adoption fit into the book of Ruth? If we zoom out of the story of Ruth, we can see this theme of adoption. Ruth was a Moabite, right? She was outside of the family of God and she was separated from them. But as soon as she enters the land, Boaz, when he hears that who she is, who, that she's with Naomi, the Israelite, he begins to draw her in. He, he provides her with provision. He has more grain left behind so that she can collect it. He gives her water. And he even then shares a meal with, with uh, Ruth. She's being brought in. But he doesn't stop there. He actually becomes their family redeemer, or their kinsman redeemer, as Naomi will call it. He's going to marry Ruth and draw her in and bring her, adopt her into the family of God. She will be a part of the Israelite family now. And not only is she just going to be a part of it, but she is going to be a key part. She's going to be a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. She is going to be a part of God's redemption story for the world. And so as we see the story of Ruth here, we see it as a story of redemption. 
Now, the Bible as a whole is God's story of redemption, right? God redeeming people through salvation. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. You're, you're with me. You're tracking. And this redeeming salvation is often talked about in terms of adoption. You see it in Romans 8, Galatians 4, Ephesians 1. In all these places, the salvation is talked about in the terms of adoption. But why me? Why biblical adoption? Why would I want to talk to you about this subject today? If we can go to the next slide, Larry, if it works this time. There we go. Um, The topic of adoption is near and dear to my family. As you can see here, uh, my two youngest boys were not born here. You can't really see that in the picture, but you get the picture. Um, They were actually born in the country of Burundi, Africa. It's a small little tiny country in Central Africa. It's just south of Rwanda, just east of the Congo. Um, It's a landlocked country, has very limited resources, and it usually falls in the five poorest countries in the world, depending on what year it is and how their economy's doing. And my boys, they grew up for the first three-ish years of their lives in in a government-run orphanage in Burundi, Africa. Now, it kind of goes without saying that when they were in Africa, they weren't a part of my family, right? And they didn't have all the benefits that, that would be afforded to them of being a part of the Hayes family. They didn't have the love of a mother and father. They didn't have nutritious food. They didn't have clean water. They didn't have health care. They didn't have inheritance. None of these things were theirs. And to give you just an example, if I had called up my insurance company and said, hey, I want to add these two little boys in Africa to my insurance. I want, I want to do it right now. Before they had been adopted, they say, well, well when is the adoption finalized? And I said, well, well, that's in the future. That's in a, that's in a couple of months. They would have said, well, call us back when this fi- the adoption's final. But once they were adopted, all of those things became theirs. They have the right to those things because they are fully a part of my family. They're not a lesser part. They did, just because they're adopted and they don't have this little tiny portion, they have an equal portion, equal to all my other children. My, my boys were separate, but now they belong to and so that's why I wanted to talk to you guys about biblical adoption. It's a theme at, the, at my family's core. So with that said, let's dive into God's word. Let's see what it has to say about biblical adoption. We're going to work through the first two chapters of Ephesians today. Um, and we're going to draw out this theme of biblical adoption. So um, if you want to turn your Bibles, uh, page 976 in your pew Bible. You guys are lucky I didn't have that in the first service. My son looked it up for me. I'm not... I wasn't prepared enough. So. We're going to look at Ephesians 1.5. We're going to start there, and then we're going to work through the first two chapters and maybe take a couple little deviations. All right? Ephesians 1.5, starting at the very end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I really like how the NLT words this. This is how NLT puts it. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. I love that, the way he phrases that. By bringing us to, uh, to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So as we look at these, these two ver- uh, these, this one verse, sorry, what does it actually mean to be adopted? What does that word really mean? What's the definition of Adoption. Well, Webster's uh, definition, it says to take by choice into a relationship. And if I was to just do a really quick Google search, what does adoption mean? It would pop up like this. It would say to legally take, 
and then in parentheses, another ch- another's child and bring it up as one's own. And so, as we read Ephesians 5, 1, 5, and then we look at the definitions of what adoption is, maybe some questions can start to come to mind. At least these questions come to my mind. I, I don't know how your minds work. But why do we need adopted? Why do we even need it in the first place? Maybe another question. Aren't we all just children of God? Aren't doesn't God just love us the way we are? And these are all good questions. These are questions that we should be asking ourselves. These are questions that we should have answers to because these are questions that the world is asking. These are questions that people outside of this church are asking. Aren't we all just children of God? There's Christian churches asking these very questions and splitting themselves over this, these questions. But the Bible has answers to it. All right? So... Right off the bat, I'm going to contend to you that no, we are not born into adoption. The very notion of, ado- of being adopted means that you were once separate from, like my boys, right? If in fact we were born into adoption, then it would not be adoption at all. It would be birthright. And God would not speak of salvation in terms of adoption. So you may be asking, you guys got a lot of questions today. <laughs> you may be asking yourself, If we're not born into adoption, then what are we born into? Well, we're born into sin. The curse of sin has infected us as humans since the fall of Adam and Eve. And even today, 2,000 years after Jesus' death, we're still born into that sin. And that sin we're born into separates us from God. So we're going to take a tiny little quick deviation from Ephesians. We're going to jump into um, Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis 2, 16. It's actually up here. If you want to flip there, you can, or you can read it on the screen. But we'll be right back into Ephesians right after this, and we'll stay there for like 97.3% of the rest of the sermon. So, Ephesians 2, 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, eat, you shall surely die. Now, we, we know what happens from here, don't we? Adam and Eve, they let temptation take a hold. And then they eat of that forbidden fruit. But what didn't happen? God didn't strike them down right there, did he? He didn't just zap them with some lightning. No, they were still alive. They were going to eventually have to suffer physical death. Death entered in when sin entered in. But something even worse entered in. Something far worse They were separated from God. They were cut off from a relationship with God. See, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden because of their sin. And just let's just think about how awful that would be. Adam and Eve, they they communed with God. They walked with God. They talked with him. They fellowshiped with him in the garden. And, And then everything was provided for them. But then in an instant, when sin entered in, they no longer had that. All of it was cut off. They were cast out, separated from God. And you know, we, when we sin, we're not, we're not struck down immediately, are we? Because if that was true, there would be none of us here, right? So we, today, we're still under that exact same curse of death, that separation from God. So, with that being said, let's turn back to the Ephesians. We're going to work through those first two chapters now, okay? Now, we'll be working through these first two chapters, and Paul lays out this wonderful pattern. 
He shows us who we are without Christ, and he shows us who we are with Christ. He actually uses the term in Christ, with Christ, or with him, or in him, 21 times in the first two chapters of this book of Ephesians. And he moves between these themes of being without Christ and with Christ. He moves in between them, and he, he kind of mixes them up at times, and he, and he changes the order. And so we're going to be doing some flipping back and forth, and we're going to go, we're going to move back and forth some, through some verses, so please forgive me for that. But here's what my recommendation, is that when we're done here, I urge you to go read Ephesians 1 and 2. See this pattern of adoption that he lays out and the wonderful message that it proclaims. It's, it's an awesome message. Okay, so we've established that we're born into sin and separated from God. Now let's look in to why do we have to be adopted at all? Let's go to the next slide if we can. Here we go. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Man, there is a lot to unpack in those three verses. But let's start at verse one. We see the word dead coming up again. This is that same death that was talked about in Genesis 2, that same separation. Paul's telling these believers that they were once separated. They were not physically dead, right? Just like we talked about just a little, because he's writing to them after the fact. But they were spiritually dead because of the sins in their lives. Verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Anybody? Satan. I heard it, Satan. Right? Without Christ, we're more like followers of the devil, the evil one, the father of lies, Lucifer, the tempter, and probably a hundred other names that I could have looked up for Satan. And because we're followers of him, we are dead in our sins and trespasses, separated from God. Without Christ, our father's more like Satan. And that surely doesn't sound like children of God, does it? No, it sounds more like we're outside of that family of God. Let's, go, let's move on to verse three. Among whom we all once lived. Paul's showing us here that the sin and brokenness is not just attributed to a select couple bad people here and there, but it's we all, all of us. As a little quick cross-reference, help me finish this, this verse. Romans 3, 20, 23. For all have and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23 points out to us without a doubt that we're all sinners. And that not only do we sin, but this causes us to fall short of God's perfection. The end of verse three, and we're by nature children of wrath. All of us, because of our very nature, that's our sin nature, we're subject to God's anger as the NLT puts it. Or another way of putting it is we're under his judgment. God is holy, he's perfect, he's pure, and because of sin, we deserve punishment. We are followers of Satan and dead in our sins, subject to hell, which is just true separation from God forever, really, when we think about it. So I hope this is clear. The picture of Ephesians 2, 1, that it paints is not of children of God, but it's more like people who are outside of the family of God. I'm gonna tie this back to the book of Ruth, Ruth was a Moabite, right? 
Does anyone remember what the Moabites did when Israel came up out of the wilderness and they were trying to make it to the promised land? The Moabites called a prophet. They, they paid him a lot of money. They, pay, they called him in. His name was Balaam. And they said, hey, we're going to pay you to curse the Israelites. Now, Balaam wasn't able to. He couldn't go outside of what God wanted him to do. And so he ended up actually blessing the Israelites. So the Israelites, or sorry, so the, the Moabites took it on their own will and they, they went and they sent their women in to seduce the men of Israel out and to, to worship their pagan gods. And they did that. They worshiped these pagan gods and God became very angry for it. These don't sound like people of God's family. They're trying to, they're trying to hurt the family of Israel. They are outside of the family. But God takes this Moabite woman, this woman who's outside, and he brings her in, just like we talked about before. And he makes her a key part of his story of redemption. Let's go back to the book of Ephesians now. Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that, sorry, I'm gonna read it up here. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Yes, Genesis tells us that we are made in the image of God, but no, it does not mean that we are born children of God. And this is, this is really important. This is, might be of the utmost importance because this is not something that the world wants us to believe. The world wants to believe that all men are good, that, that we're all just children of God, and that there's only like these few couple little tiny bad people, not tiny, but bad people, the Hitlers, the Stalins, the Putins, serial killers, mass murderers, that only those people are separated from God. But that's not what the Bible speaks of. The Bible speaks of broken and sinful people in need of a savior. Ephesians 1. Oh, sorry. So we've answered the questions, aren't we all children of God? Now let's look into, doesn't God just love us the way we are? Ephesians 1, 6 through 7. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace. Let's ask this question, more question. If God just loves us the way we are, and we've established what we are, children of wrath, right, separated, why does he have to redeem us? Why does he have to give us forgiveness? What does it even mean to redeem? Redemption means to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something. Why would God have to, have to do that? Why would he have to compensate for us if he just loves us the way we are? It's because God desires a relationship with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to be near us. He wants us to be in relationship with him. But a holy and righteous God cannot be around sin. Sin would taint God's holiness and his perfection, and that can't be. To give you a worldly example, if I was to take you a jug of water, pure water, just pure uncontaminated water, and you were thirsty, and I said, hey, this is some great water, and I gave it to you, and you would drink of it, right? You'd be like, this is good stuff. But if I was to take a teaspoon of raw sewage, and I was to dump it in there, and I was to shake it up, I was to say, this is still some good stuff. It just has a little raw sewage in it, just a tiny bit. You'd say, no, I think I'm good. I'll be thirsty. Because that raw sewage, that tiny little bit, tainted that whole jug of water, right? The same as with God. God can't be around sin. 
the tiniest little less than a teaspoon of sin would taint his perfectness. And so he doesn't want that. He, doesn't, he can't be around it. And so he needs us to be righteous and holy just like him. We see this example in the Old Testament uh, through the sacrificial system that God put in place so that um, people could atone for their sins or make up for their sins. The offender, the person who had sinned, many times he would have to place their hand on the animal that was going to be sacrificed. And they would have to watch the life drain out of this animal as a reminder. Your sin is offensive to God. Your sin has a price to pay. And this animal that just died, it paid it with its blood. But that sacrifice didn't last, did it? They had to continually go back and they continually go back and go back. Every time they sinned, they had to go back to that temple and be atoned for and be redeemed because their sin just kept happening. So no, God does not just love us the way we are. We need to be redeemed from our natural state. He needs us to be holy. He needs us to be righteous for us to be in relationship with him. And he desires that relationship. So we've gone through these three questions. Why does God have to adopt us? Aren't we all just children of God? And and doesn't God just love us the way we are? So what does this make us in relationship to God when we think about this? What does it make us? It makes us like orphans, right? We're like orphans estranged from our father, separated from our true father. But here's the awesome thing. God does not leave us as orphans. God does not cut us off from his goodness and his kindness and his grace because of our sin. No, God made a way for us to become children of God through adoption. But how does this work? How does, how does God adopt us as his children? Well, first off, God adopts us through the blood of Jesus Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13. Jesus had to shed his blood to atone for our sins. And just like we saw in the Old Testament sacrificial system where the blood was shed. But this time, Jesus took his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection, and he paid the price in full. His sacrifice doesn't need to be done over and over again. His sacrifice is final and it is permanent. As he said on the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. God's adoption comes when we see our sinful nature for what it is, the thing that is actively and presently trying to separate us. Ephesians 1, 7 points us out, we need forgiveness of our trespasses because those trespasses separate us. They're offensive to him. God's adoption comes when we realize that without God's help, we are unable to save ourselves. Can we go two more slides? There it is. Ephesians 1, 8 through 9. Which he, lavished on a, a, sorry, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. It was him doing the work. God did the work to, for our salvation. God's adoption comes when we realize that Christ, Jesus Christ dying on the cross is the only way that we can be brought close to God. Ephesians 1, 10 through 11. As a plan for the fullness of time, time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance. 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It was God's plan at the right time Christ would go to the cross and he would give himself up as a sacrifice. This sacrifice would draw everything together to Christ under his authority in heaven and on earth. And because of this plan, we are able to have an inheritance from God. God's adoption comes through realizing that you are made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, tra- our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Earlier we talked about that word death and what it meant. Death and the separation that it causes from us, from God. But now here, we see right after the word dead, we see alive, that opposite word. Death is separ- equals separation. That means alive means that we get to be together with God, with Christ, through Christ. God's adoption comes through believing in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, in him, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Believing in Christ is what brings about adoption into God's family, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Lastly, God's adoption comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It comes through faith in his life, in his death on the cross, and his resurrection. It's not some abstract thing that happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus died so you can enjoy a relationship with him and it is available to all. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This verse right here is what brought me to faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ is what brings about salvation. Only by God's grace. It's not a result of the things we have done. It's God's gift to us. If we had earned it, it would no longer be a gift, would it? Then it would just be payment. Our belief is what brings about this redeeming salvation. Our belief is what brings about this adoption. So what is gained by our being adopted by Christ? Citizenship. As we see in Ephesians 2, 19. So then you, so then you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. What an amazing thing citizenship is. When I think about citizenship and I think about being an American and all the privileges that it has, and I think about it in contrast to what my boys would have had in Burundi if they had only had their Burundian citizenship, what a vast con- contrast. It would have, we are so blessed here in America to be citizens of America and have the blessing of it. Just think how much more we are blessed to be citizens of God's kingdom especially when it's compared to citizens of of Satan and of his kingdom. And we're also given an inheritance. Ephesians 1, 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? We also have an inheritance that's awaiting us in God's kingdom. These are the things that we are given through adoption by Jesus Christ. But here's what it doesn't say. 
Here's what Ephesians 1 and 2 does not say. It does not say God adopts you because you are born into a Christian family or you're born into a religious family. It doesn't say that he adopts you because you come to church on Sunday or because you put a little money in the plate or because maybe you're just a little bit better than the people around you or sitting left or right of you. And it definitely doesn't say that he adopts you because of your deeds. We just saw that in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It's not of our deeds. No, listen, Satan dangles these things out in front of us to try and deceive us, to deceive us, sorry. He wants us to think that we're just like everybody else and that we're not gonna be punished for these sins, that we can somehow earn our way into heaven. If we could earn it, then Christ wouldn't have to die on the cross, would he? We'd all just be spinning on our hamster wheels trying to earn God's forgiveness. But Christ gave that to us freely. But here's, here's the thing. These are what I believed the Bible said for 32 years of my life. I, be, I believed in many of these things. See, I was going through the motions. I was checking the boxes. I thought that if I was born into a religious family, God was gonna save me. I thought that my good deeds were gonna save me. I thought that maybe even just throwing a little money in the plate was gonna save me. But in reality, I had not taken Jesus as my savior, but I was really good at faking it. And so it looked as though I was a follower. I went to church, I volunteered, I was nice sometimes, I helped my friends and family, I even threw a little money in the plate. And yet there was this unchecked sin in my life and it was running in the background and it was hidden from plain sight and it was fully separating me from God. And if I was honest with myself, I knew it was separating me. But God, who is rich in mercy, he did not strike me down in my willful rebellion. Instead, he drew me to himself and he showed me the depth of his sin. And eight years ago, sitting in this very room, I had to come to a decision. I either had to reject what Jesus Christ had done for me and continue to try and earn it, or I had to accept it. I chose to follow Jesus Christ that day, and he changed me from the inside out. Have you placed your life in the hands of Jesus Christ and surrendered everything to him? Have you come to see that sin and that separation, this gap that is between you and God because of it? Have you come to see that Christ is the only thing that can bridge that gap between you and God? If you have, if you have taken Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have the right to be called children of God. Adopted into the family, heirs of the inheritance that God has for you. And what an amazing thing that is. So I wanna leave you with this guy today. What are some practical ways that we can live out our adoption with Christ? So maybe you've been a part of uh, the, God's family for 30 years, or maybe you've been a part of God's family for 30 seconds. But what's next? What are practical ways that we can live out being a part of God's family, this adoption that we've been drawn into? James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What does it mean to visit in their affliction? It means to care for those who are in need. It's that simple. It's not something crazy and out. That we, it's, this is all it means. It means to care for those who are in need. 
I love what our church has done over the past couple years with Abigail's sisters. Women of our church have taken the initiative to come alongside other women, some who have lost their husbands and would be considered widows, and they've created this community where they can, they can fellowship together and they can care for one another and they can join together in, in meals and go for walks and they can, they can love one another. What a great example of caring for those who are in need. Another way to care for those in need is a ministry we have here called Fix It for Jesus. It's a handyman's group whose main purpose is to bless the people of this church body by helping out with repairs that maybe they couldn't do for themselves or maybe they just can't afford to around the house. This has included some of the women of Abigail's sisters that we've been able to help, and, and this is a tangible way that we can help in those needs. And just so you know, you do not need to be handy to be a part of this group. One purpose of Fix It for Jesus is to share our knowledge and talents with one another and to build each other up and to teach one another and teach our children these different uh, skills. And so the only real requirement of joining the group is that you have a pulse. Just saying. What about the orphan? You guys knew I was going here, right? We are a church body of people adopted by God. We should be a church of adoptees who are now adopting. James 1.27 is simple, care for those in need. There are 140 million orphans in the world. If we can hit the next slide, there we go. There are half a million children in foster care in America alone. Approximately 50% of those children need adopted because they can't go back to the families and the, the circumstances that they came from. Is adoption hard? Oh, sorry, I missed a point. There are 2.4 billion Christians in the world. We'll go to the next slide. That's one orphan for every 1,700 Christians. Don't trust that math. I did it myself. It's, it, it might be okay. It seems like these numbers and the command given by God, there shouldn't be an orphan problem in this world. But there is, right? Is it hard? Is adoption hard? Yes, it is. Look at what God had to do to adopt us. He had to give up his son, right? Is, raising children is hard. Adoption is hard. But here's something we should think about. Being Christians isn't meant to be easy. We aren't supposed to just kick up our feet once we've been adopted by God and, and sit back and wait for Jesus to come, right? We're supposed to do the hard things. We're supposed to love when we're not loved back. We're supposed to pray for those who persecute us. We're supposed to give of ourselves, of our money, our time, our resources, of everything we have. And trust me, in adoption, you'll, you'll do a lot of that. As Christians, we are called to do the hard things that set us apart from this world. But Andy, isn't adoption really expensive? Yes, it is. Look at what it cost Christ. It cost him his life, right? But in all reality, if it's finances that are holding you back from adopting, I implore you to step out in faith and see what God can do. I'm gonna tell you a story. Shortly after my walk with Christ, after I started walking with Christ, God started to do a work in my own heart. Um, see, I had, I had a security blanket and it was my, my bank account. I like to see it grow. And I like to like, almost like water it and I wanted to watch it grow and get bigger and get bigger. And, and God 
started using the Holy Spirit to convict me and to work in my own life and to tell me and show me that I had made it an idol. My, my bank account had become this idol. And so I, I started feeling this God just talking to me and saying, Andy, you're going to have to be willing to give this up. You're going to have to be willing to let it go. And I would even think in my own head, like, what is God going to do? Like, what, is he just going to ask me to give it all away? Like, I have no clue. Well, at the same time, I began to desire having more children. And I, I'm pretty dense. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty, I didn't put two and two together. I just... So God used a personal messenger to deliver an answer. It wasn't an angel like in the Bible. It was, it was an angel in the form of my wife. <laughs> she, she doesn't have wings, but she's still an angel. See, the longing to adopt had been on her heart for months. For months. And she'd been praying that God would be doing a work in my heart, which he was doing. And when she came to me and she brought up the desire to adopt, I knew right then and there what God had been pre- preparing my heart for. She was so scared of what I was gonna say is she actually held up a pillow. (laughs) And she asked me about the adoption and then she peeked over and she said, and one more thing. And she went back under and she said, and I want two. (laughs) And she went back under. But I knew right then and there that that's what God was preparing my heart for. We didn't, we didn't enter into the adoption process for a couple of weeks. We prayed about it and, we, and you know, we, we thought about it. But I knew what God was preparing my heart for. And when we submitted and we followed God and we gave up that, the idolization of the bank account, his abundance, God's abundance and his economy showed up in ways we would have missed if we had just held on to it. If we just grasped it and not let go of it, God, we would have missed all these blessings. And so many of these blessings you guys took part in, showing us in different ways how you loved us. Which just leads me to my next point. Maybe you don't feel like God is calling you to adopt for this reason or that. And that's okay. God does not call everyone to do everything, does he? We are a body of believers and we're made to support one another and we're made to build one another up. So then, find someone who wants to adopt and bless them. Tangible ways that we can do this. It can be through adoption expenses. It's expensive to adopt, domestic or foreign. Either way, it's very expensive. And people can use help with that. Pray for the adoptions. Pray for them. Man, the paperwork's hard. The waiting is hard. The, the, even once you've received a, a recommendation, is hard. Every last bit of it's hard. Those people that are adopting can use prayer. Throw an adoption shower, as one of our great friends here in the, this very church did for us. My wife and I were done with children. We said it often. One boy, one girl, we're done. But God moved in our hearts. He changed our hearts. We had put away, we had thrown away all of our little kid stuff. My wife is a great cleaner. She keeps our house very clean. That stuff was shoved to the curb minutes after the, my children stopped using it. <laughs> but we had this adoption shower and it blessed us. And I will tell you, it was a huge blessing. We received two strollers in that adoption um, shower. And pushing these boys through Frankfurt Airport, like 17 miles, was a blessing. It was more like one, but it was a lot of, it was a lot of walking. And it would have been a pain to carry them and luggage. And, and it was just a blessing to us. You could even put away old, old lightly used clothes. We have families that even do that for us. 
Even to today, we, we get bags of clothes that are given to us for our boys. And what a blessing that is. And really all this is is just being intentional to care for the body. Being intentional to care for those who are in need, as James 1.27 says. So I urge you today, go home. Read through Ephesians 1 and 2. Read through them multiple times over multiple days. Read it when you're happy. Read it when you're sad. Read it when you're up and when you're down. See what God has to say about adoption. See this pattern that Paul lays out, this pattern of separation, but not just of separation, but then of being brought near to God through Jesus Christ, through adoption. I'm gonna leave you with one last question today. Have you been adopted by God? If your answer is no, what's stopping you? Are you holding on to something? Or is there sin in your life that you just don't want to let go of? What is it? Because Christ is better than every last bit of that. Follow Christ. Follow the Holy Spirit if he's convicting you. Don't just cling to your sin, cling to Jesus. All right. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can look into your word and that we can see this theme of adoption. Thank you that we can see it in the Old Testament, we can see it in the New Testament, and we can see it working in our lives today, Lord. Help us to go from this place and to be adoptees who are just willing to serve and care for those who are in need, Lord. Convict us in our hearts of where we need to be more like you and where we need to follow you. Convict us of where we need to carry our cross to the next day, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you all. Have a blessed Sunday.